Welcome to Whisker Dice. Hey, yo, folks, I am your host, the Conzie with the most, and I am joined today by... Hey, this is Suzanne. And today we are joined by... Okay, uh, yeah, my name is uh, Niall Crabtree. Hey, Niall, how's it going, man? Yeah, it's going good. Happy to be on the show and talking to you guys, yeah. Excellent, excellent. So today, on today's episode, this is a bonus episode of the Wisco Dice Tabletop Gaming Podcast. Today is March 12th, 2023, and we've got uh, Niall on for a special interview to talk about his upcoming Kickstarter for the game Fatal Knockout. So we're going to go ahead and dive right into that and figure out what Fatal Knockout is all about and all of the good details so that you guys out there can back this game and check it out uh, for yourselves. So with that, let's go ahead and get started with the interview. And I'm going to start out right away, since I led myself right into it, and ask, what is Fatal Knockout? Or I think I've seen the acronym FKO all about. What What is this game? And So Fatal Knockout is a one to two player, primarily two player, but there is a solo mode as well, tabletop fighting game. So there are other games out there which exist, which like sort of cover the genre. Uh, but the entire aim with this game from the ground up was to fully encapsulate the experience of playing um, a video game fighting game, but on the tabletop. The box itself actually converts into the board where it looks like an arcade cabinet. All the fighters are very reminiscent of, of arcade fighters. Um, it's a completely asymmetric game where every fighter is completely unique. The aim of the game is, like, as you can probably imagine for a fighting game, is just to do, well, just to finish off your opponent before they do it to you. So you have to do five damage to them uh, before they do it to you back. In terms of, like, practicality, it, the main genre of the game is a movement programming game. So the game is entirely uh, structured around um, cards which have certain initiative numbers. Uh, one reviewer actually re related it a bit to Gloomhaven, um, in that you play cards and like depending on the initiative order they go they happen in a certain order um, and the entire thing that you have to do is just play cards to build combos to do damage to your opponent it's it's a game which actually plays differently depending on your experience level to begin with i mean it actually works exactly the same way with video game fighting games as well where you start off where it's just like it's kind of like a beat em up you're just punching each other uh trying to basically whoever does the most damage first wins um but as you get more into it it becomes very much more like chess where every game is very, every play is very strategic. There are only nine spaces on the board, and it's a linear board, and you've got to try and move to very specific locations in order to get the most value out of it. Yeah, it's a highly competitive game. We've already run a couple of tournaments. Actually, someone from the community made a, a website to track to rank players, which I thought was pretty cool. But yeah, that's Fatal Knockout. Well, that sounds really neat, and. I like fighting games. As my husband will tell you, if there's a way to beat someone up in a game, that's usually the direct the path that I will choose. Yeah. You, you mentioned that as you learn the game, like kind of your player skill plays into how the game experience is a little bit. Mm -hmm. Do different fighters, like I guess I'm assuming you can be different characters and different fighters in the game. Are there yeah. starter characters? And then do they progress up in difficulty also? So there are characters which we recommend people start with. What's actually probably a better way to play the game is if you're playing with someone who's got a bit more experience or are at least open to playing a more complex fighter. Uh, because basically the two uh, most basic fighters are, are uh, Cage, uh, the grappler, and Mercury, the rushdown. 
because they have uh, the, the most basic unique mechanics. Every fighter, regardless of complexity, has a completely unique mechanic. Uh, grapplers, uh, Cage the Grappler, his unique mechanic is the fact that he can grab someone in front of him and throw him behind them. So, like, it actually just, like, grabs in front and throws them behind them, and it goes through shields as well. So it's an incredibly powerful ability. The balancing is that he's very slow, so it matches, like, grapplers in actual fighting games. And the rushdown unique mechanic is the fact that they can use a, a mechanic called interrupt, which allows you to bring a ca one card forward in the turn order. And considering the primary way that cards are balanced in the game is through that initiative number, if you bring one card forward in the turn order, that can really upset the balance of the game. I wouldn't recommend the first game that you play is with both of those fighters together because they have a very similar play style in that they are both melee fighters. The game really shines when you're playing, uh, when you're in a game with two characters that play wildly differently and how you deal with that. But yeah, I'd always recommend playing at least one of those fighters. That sounds really fun. Like I'm, I'm sitting here picturing playing this against my husband and just beating him down on the game, yeah. you know? He's over there rolling his eyes, I'm, I'm sure. I'm pretty much a button masher when it comes to fighting video games, so um, I, have, I at least have a, ch uh, a hope and a prayer here, I think, uh, since uh, it's just uh, playing the game itself. So I'm trying to find or think of games that honestly sound similar in genre and in kind of theme and mechanics to what we're talking about, and I think there's probably some similarities with Initiative, but how does... F FKO really stand out from those other games that have very similar theme to to it. Yeah, so there are a couple of games which I'll, I'll be straight up uh, as well, and people might not believe me, um, but I purposefully went into designing this game without looking at any other game that was in the genre because I am my whole entire thought process is from the beginning was uh, encapsulating that experience of playing a video game fighting game. I did not want any outside influence at all from other games. Uh, to name drop a couple of games which are in the genre, and this is a tiny genre at the moment, so I don't know if you know, I remember when um, game, like video games like Doom came out um, and then uh, uh, first-person shooter games came out after that. Mm -hmm. Every game was called a Doom clone. Every first-person shooter was called a Doom clone. You don't call yep. Call of Duty nowadays a Doom clone. So um, people might think that because there's only four games in this genre, if a new one comes in, it's a clone of the other one. They are incredibly different, like any board game. Like you don't say like a new a new Euro game is the same as all the other Euro games, even though they kind of are. But anyway, um, so <laughs> um, yeah. So the, to name drop uh, games like Exceed, and I actually forget the name of the other one, uh, but those are like sort of the two big ones. Exceed is the biggest one, but without a doubt, Fail Knockout. I believe in terms of gameplay, but also aesthetic. Uh, capture the experience of the fighting game more. The thing with Exceed is that it is way more complex. Uh, something which reviewers have said when also they name dropped Exceed as well is that Fail Knockout is by far a lot easier to get into. Um, the only learning curve with Fail Knockout is the fact that it is entirely iconography based. But the thing is, the iconography is. Um, so logical that once you learn one icon, you learn them all. There hasn't been a single player during playtesting or like we were just at Aircon, like we were talking before the podcast, um, that hasn't completely understood every single icon in the game, even if they haven't seen them yet uh, or come across them yet after the first turn. Like they, they completely understand it before they get onto the second round, uh, which was like a, a minute long. Yeah, it's super easy to get into, but it's it's just as deep as Exceed or any other games. So it's got that thing as well. It's got that. That's something which I really like about the game. It's got that low skill floor, as in like you can enter and do and like know what you're doing 
to begin with, but a very, very high skill ceiling as well. Like we had the tournament the other day, like I said, and the the difference between players which have been playing for a few months now, players which have just picked up the game is is insanely like wide, which I really like about the game. Cool. It sounds like it's very accessible to a wide range and skill level of players, which mm-hmm. is always which is always great for a game that you know that you want to play several times. What inspired you to create this Fatal Knockout game? I actually have no idea. That's the thing. So <laughs> I was, at the time, I was still at uni. And um, I was, uh, on the weekend, I was delivering pizzas. So I was a pizza delivery person. And uh, it was in between going out for a delivery, actually. Like, I had five minutes to just sit and chill on my phone. And it just popped into my head straight away. Like, I just, like, uh, the idea, it was, it was a slightly different concept. It was very much more trying to capture specifically the experience of Super Smash Bros., um, so like the the game originally had like platforms which you could jump onto, which didn't end up working at all, and that sort of thing. It was going to very much capture Smash Bros. rather than just like fighting games in general. Um, but the first thing I did was actually I Facebook messaged the artist which I worked on for a previous game because I thought if this game's going to work, I need I need their art as well. And it, and it was going to be dead dead on arrival if it, if uh, they didn't say yes. And they immediately said yeah because they also love fighting games. And then it just went from there, and that was. Probably about 15 months ago now. So I've been in development for 15 months. So yeah, that was really the inspiration. Also, I, I love fighting games, especially Smash Bros. Which I know if people are watching, listening from the fighting game community, they probably... It's, what, it's, what, it's like the most vanilla base uh, entry-level fighting game. And people who are like really into fighting games are like, ah, that's like the, the child's fighting game. But I really love it, so there we go. Well, it's also the fighting game that's approved by a lot of parents. Too. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. You know, a lot of people get to play with it that way. So, yeah, exactly. So, what makes you really excited about this game? I mean, you've got a lot of passion in your voice and you're talking about mm-hmm. it, but what is, is there any singular thing that makes you super excited? It's entirely the community around the game. My previous games um, have all been like relatively small, but like the community has been like the very like separate because the first of all, the, the my previous games have never been competitive. Like my last game, Langscape, was entirely like um, me trying to fix the problem that I thought I or that I thought was with with the bluffing game Coup. If you've ever played that, I didn't like the player elimination in that game, so I made a bluffing game about player elimination and also gave it a, a Viking theme because I like Vikings. But yeah, that game itself doesn't really lend itself to a community. Whilst a fail knockout, I mean, fighting game communities are huge. It's what uh, keeps them going, and it has correlated massively with fatal knockout like um the community is strong right now if i wanted to uh run a tournament um next week i could get like 20 signups straight away even though the game's not out yet it's because everyone's been playing on tabletop simulator which has also been huge for the game the discord which we have the crab studios discord is constantly active people talking about different fighters like um their sort of strategies with them and it's just great to see because I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's just nice to see people playing it, and I'm like, I'm not even involved in the conversations, and people are just like, sort of enjoying the game without me being there, which is really nice. That's awesome that you created something that isn't fully to market yet, but has this much excitement, and it's kind of an organic excitement about it, and just it's keeping itself going without you having to be constantly pushing it. That's really yeah, cool. Exactly. With that and. Also, as I'm listening to you, this game sounds like a good bridge to get some of those um, console gamers at like the fighting games into the board game. It's kind of sounds like it's kind of a a bridge 
over into this other type of gaming for them. Yeah, exactly. My sort of uh, mindset changed with making board games after my second one because uh, it's is weird because like depending on who listens to this they might consider this to be like cringy or whatever um but i was listening to an audio book called one year to a million dollars which is like obviously like a terribly named self-help book um but i was listening to it and there was one but there was one bit, uh, key bit from it which i took from it was that uh um, a lot of people make mistakes by going into a, an industry or into a market and immediately trying to take a slice of the pie, like for themselves, like slice of the market, market share without growing it themselves. So with uh, Langskip in this game, my, especially this game, my aim has been not just to try and make it a great game for people who are into board games, uh, but make it a great game to actually grow the market for everyone because like, that's the that's the thing. That's why I have such like a big respect for gateway games or like... Uh, um you know that simple like ameritrash games is the fact that it gets people into the hobby the like gateway games into the hobby like i think i would i would i would, I would hazard a guess that like a good like five percent of the whole industry like their first game was like exploding kittens or like love letter or something like that and then they progressed into you know like brass birmingham and stuff like that so i have a huge respect for them and that's something which i try to do try like a, a lot of people from the uh fail knockout community as well this is their first board game which is really cool no, it's, it's actually really important to be able to promote and support those entry-level gamers. And I've got to imagine, because of the theme of this game, that there will be a number of backers that back this game because it's, you know, a fighting game on the tabletop. You know, it's a, it's that mm-hmm. experience, right? And so it captures that uh, you know we were talking i was just talking to dave from paverson games uh, uh in regards to his game distilled and he's he was very confident that a a large portion of of backers were backing it because they love whiskey <laughs> yeah know? so so this is going to be i would i would think you're going to get those first time board gamers they're going to be diving into this getting that first first opportunity into this game because of that one of the things that I find very, very interesting with this, uh, this game, just looking at some of the preview art and, and the setup for, from it online, was that the art is really unique and, and not exactly what I would would have thought when I when I first started hearing about this game and it being a you know a fighting game. I'm you know I'm instantly drawn to games like Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter, and this this game has a it it, it captures that art, but it's it's much more uh, I would say unique. It. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly how to describe it. Can you? Can you tell me a little bit? I know you talked. You, you mentioned earlier that you sought out a specific artist to do the artistic design. You, what? What was the whole process behind that art side of the game? If you don't mind sharing. Oh yeah. So um, yeah, the artist name. Uh, well, they go by uh, Fodsley on the internet, um, and they really, really like. Um, like if you if you look at their Twitter at any point, if you just search Fodsley on Twitter, um, their uh, a lot of their artwork, which they do anyway, is of this art style. They re- is 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 called the the Y two K aesthetic, um, and it's from uh, like late nineties, early two thousands uh, pop art, pretty much where huge black outlines, um, solid colors everything's super simplistic and all the details in the shading um and i really like that just off the about like in terms if we just look um in terms of like practicality this game is like i said before iconography based 
Um, especially when learning the game, you'd have full concentration on them on learning those icons um, and like get, getting those into your head. And so having like loads of like distracting detailed artwork uh, would have been like sort of a disservice, a disservice to the mechanic. I wanted them to sort of be in tandem. Also, like you said, it is very very unique. I think it's it it, it may have been a mistake to go for either uh, like old arcade arcade style artwork in that it was like more pixel art. Are going like more realistic in terms of the newer fighting games. I think it's actually got like sort of its its own balance, and it's what I wanted to do really is so like if this if the board game's ever in a in a shop, you can see the artwork and know straight away that it's fail knockout because there isn't really any other game that has artwork like it, which I think is really cool. It captures at least in my mind, it captures just enough. It's like that perfect little balance between you know that old pixel video game and where things are now i mean i could see a, a fighting game just like this with art just like this being pumped out on on any of the major consoles right now mm-hmm. like i totally could so it it seems to be that perfect little bridge i think you found from an art perspective i really like the art with how it seems to fit this theme like you've been describing that so that's really cool another thing i've noticed from Looking at the at your Crab Studios website, was mm-hmm. that many of your games you've already published or have designed have some sort of 3D component? Like this one has the arcade box. Was mm-hmm. that an intentional design choice, or is that just something that's kind of been happening along the way? Because it's I don't know, it looks pretty cool to me. Yeah, so it's kind of like um like the I came at it from sort of two angles. So the first angle was, especially with Fatal Knockout in particular, uh, was to sell that experience. I just wanted people to walk walk past the game and know exactly what type of game it was. If you see an arcade cabinet, the nine times out of ten you think of like but looks like the box is like an arcade cabinet. Nine times out of ten you're thinking it's a fighting game because arcade cabinets, at least from my perspective most of the time are associated with fighting games because they were the most popular games uh, competitively um, in any case. But also, actually, what one inspiration was uh, the game Everdell. Because the Everdell tree uh, that comes with the game can get destroyed very quickly the more you take it apart over and over again and reassemble it, I just decided to leave it on my shelf. And I really, really like that it, bec- it becomes more than the game. It becomes also something that looks nice on the shelf. And that's what I wanted as well. I wanted it to be like, because the, the, the game actually comes with two bottom boxes, which I don't know if any other game like that exists, but it comes with two bottom boxes and there is enough space in just one bottom box to fit all the components for the base game plus the expansion. So you can have all the components in the one bottom box and then use the other one for the, the stage and for the box, which is really cool. And then I know I said this too, but there's uh, actually one final reason. I go con- to conventions a lot. I like to show off my games and stuff like that. And with Langskip as well, with the with the board uh, being so long, and like obviously the the, the pieces on the board, um, as well as Fatal Knockout, I started to realize very quickly what got people interested. And bright colors and something which looks unique are like the sort of two reasons why people sort of are walking past your stall and then like magnetize towards it. Like, like go, oh, that was cool. And then come over. As much as I wish board games were all about the design and like how good the game is, people don't know how good it is until they actually go over and play it. So you need to give them a reason as to as to play it. And so that's what that's another reason why I decided to go down that route. You can never can judge a book by the cover, right? But it mm. a really good cover will get a get you to pick up a book and and take a give it for a read versus yeah, exactly. uh, bad art. So that definitely is a, a critical component and. 
and it definitely draws the eye on this one. So just kind of curious, so we talked we talked about Fatal Knockout, but we really haven't talked much about yourself. Uh, what really got you into game design? Why choose this versus so many other things? Um, so, I mean, if we go back a while, uh, so uh, I actually got first got into game design by accident when I was around like 12 to 13 years old with Halo Reach the video game it had a uh, a mode called forge mode where basically you could just make levels in it um and so i would just like without even thinking really just go into forge mode and start making multiplayer maps for my friends to play and then they would come over and play them and they would actually prefer to play my maps over the maps that uh, bungie made for halo which i thought was really cool at the time but i didn't realize it was game design i didn't really know what game design was i just thought like like most people I just think that like game design just sort of it happen like they just come about like the, the amount, the, the side tangent, but the amount of times I've told people that I make board games, and then they've literally said without irony, "I didn't know that people made those," was was crazy. Like, like how do you expect them to exist? But anyway, and so after that, when I first found out what game design was, when I was about fifteen, six, I think I was about sixteen years old, uh, when a documentary called Indie Game the Movie came out. Um, and Indie Game, the movie, was hugely inspirational for me. It covered uh, sort of the story of three separate developers uh, making indie games. So Jonathan Blow, who made The Witness, Phil Fish, who made uh, Fez, and Team Meat, so Ed- Edmund Mitmillan and uh, Tommy... can't remember his last name, uh, but they made Super Meat Boy. Um, so I don't know if you've ever heard any of those video games, uh, but the documentary covered their development and Ed- Edmund McMillan in particular. You might have heard of the board game, The Binding of Isaac Four Souls, but he he designed that as well. And his just sort of thought process, basically everything which he said resonated with me so well. And then he also allowed me to realize that game design was a thing. And so from that point on, I was like, right, this is what I wanted to, want to do. So I went to university uh, to get a degree in game design. And then I got it, and then I now work at a video game studio as well called Team 17. If you ever heard of the Worms games, like Worms WMD, Worms Battlegrounds or whatever, they made those, and they make a bunch of other games as well, like Golf with Your Friends. They published Overcooked 2, uh, well, Overcooked and Overcooked 2, um, that sort of thing. And so I'm working there at the moment doing video game design and also doing this in my spare time as well. And another reason I want to make board games in particular, not just going to game design, was through actually doing video game development first and realizing that any idea that I had, it would take like three years to make. Whilst with board games, I could have an idea and then within a few hours, especially with Tabletop Simulator, which is amazingly powerful, I could have the game ready to play, which is is amazing. Um, So yeah, that's my life story. (laughs) A much shorter game, board game development cycle than I think I've heard anyone else talk about that we've talked to up to this point uh usually uh the people we've talked to tell us oh, it's a uh, you know from inception to you know through the play testing cycle and getting it to getting a board game to the point where they're really bringing it to market and whatnot we're talking about something that's usually a couple of years you're definitely talking about something that you because of tools like tabletop simulator mm. you can spawn an idea and at least get it into uh, a playtesting environment very quickly, which is really interesting to hear and and uh, really exciting to see that you know that that is also possible. What we do a lot of interviews uh, with game designers on this show, and so getting 
that perspective for somebody out there that's that's interested in doing board game design and understanding that it doesn't have to be this major process just to get your game out there and start getting people to try it and play it. I think that's a really important thing as well. Yeah, that's the thing. Tabletop Simulator is so underutilized by anybody that's new or have been experienced in the industry for so long uh, because... I just want one example, like, for example, if I was to play test the game physically, let's say that I haven't printed it and it's still like just pen and paper, and I play tested it, got a bunch of feedback, I'd then have to go home, get out all the crafts, like, uh, do new cards, cut them out, and whatever, and then the next week, the next game night at the local game store, I'd go back in and play test again. With Tabletop sim- Simulator, people could be playing the game, and then on the other screen, I could have Photoshop open, making changes right away to the cards, and they all also look beautiful because all the artwork's done, and it doesn't matter that I'm making changes to the cards because they're not actually printers. And then I just save the image on one screen, import it into Tabletop Simulator in like two minutes, and then they're playing a different version of the game, uh, which is super, super powerful. It makes the iteration uh, playtesting cycle so much quicker, um, and so... like I'll, I'll, um, more pain, more painless is not the best phrasing of that, uh, but it makes it painless anyway to do. And also, I'm just not a crafty person at all. I hate actually like paper, pen and paper. I understand completely the value of it because um, I remember with my second game, I made it entirely in Tabletop Simulator, and then I realized that it takes up like three times as much table space as it should do. Because obviously, in Tabletop Simulator, you can have as much space as you want, but you're actually it was just a card game, and it would take up like a full table to play which he shouldn't have done so there is definitely validity to doing it physically as well i think there should be a balance but i do i am a strong believer in that the core iteration cycle when it comes to like balancing and testing out ideas should be on tabletop simulator to save you so much time and also you get like a lot of my play testers are like from all over the world like all over europe all over america um and that would be impossible if it was physical uh so that's another advantage as well Another advantage to doing the place testing that way is for the testers themselves. They can see what changes they've suggested that you put in there and then how it changes the game and if they actually like it or not. Yeah, because, it, yeah. yeah. it makes them so more invested in the game as well. Like That's one of the reasons why the Fail Knockout community has grown so much. Like I just had someone join today and they recommended that I change something because they were colorblind. And then they were shocked when I said, yeah, I'll change it right away. Like, I think that the people in the board game industry um, aren't particularly used to seeing that rapid iteration that you would uh, potentially... I know video game development is a lot longer, but that sort of iterate, those small iteration cycles happen constantly behind the scenes. Um, and I think that happens a lot less in board games. So I think people are like, not necessarily used to it. But the tools are there now for it to happen. So, yeah. Well, that sounds really neat. Now, this game is out on Kickstarter by the time where this recording goes out. What can you tell us about this Kickstarter campaign for Fatal Knockout? Yeah, no worries. So, uh, yeah, currently as we're recording, uh, we're at 117 backers, 75% funded. So maybe by the time this goes out, it will be funded. If not, it should be close to it. The goal is £7,000. I'm not sure what it is in dollars. I think it's like 8200 or something like that. Basically, the Kickstarter has pledges for a print-and-play, first of all, uh, where you can get the entire base game print-and-play files. Also, all of the pledges get that as well. It's not just a base pledge. It's not just a print-and-play pledge. Then you have a pledge for the base game of Fatal Knockout, which comes with six fighters, 
all these fighters are available to look at on the on the Kickstarter. Um, and then £54, uh, you have Fatal Knockout plus the Oddities Fire Expansion, which is uh, four additional fighters. Uh, the reason why we wanted to separate these is because entirely down to like I, I i love it on kickstarters when i can choose how much content i want and how much money i want to spend uh rather than just having it all in one big box because uh the oddities fighter pack and every other expansion that we do fail knockout is going to be a more like a more expansion like just more things it's not going to change uh, the game in any way it's just going to give you more fires like it would like with video get video fighting games as well like all the expansions are always just more fires uh, so we wanted that to be like sort of an opt-in thing. You also have the ability to, as well to get like an uh, an add-on, uh, which is a foldable travel-sized board. So because we want this to be a tournament game as well, we don't imagine people taking a huge. It is quite a big box. Uh, taking a big box around to tournaments everywhere. Uh, so what they can do is the they can get a travel-sized board, which also comes with a plastic bag where they can put their board in and their like a couple of different fighters like their decks in and then just seal it up and put it in their rucksack or, or whatever uh, and take that with them but yeah that's pretty much it the reason why it's called the oddities fighter pack by the way is because all these fighters in particular are quite odd um like there's one fighter who's a squirrel which is interesting and yeah so there's other fighters to be announced but yeah probably not as probably not as odd as one of the fire, fighters which is in the base game called axel who uses the power of music to do damage which is quite interesting that's really cool I mean, we've talked about the artwork, so I'm not going to go back to that right now. But these fighters with their names and the artwork, it's it just kind of makes you smile, too. Mm. Like, they they have these personalities that come through. Oh, yeah. They, they all have yeah definitely distinct personalities. Uh, we haven't actually, like, most fighting games have a, a villain uh, of the story. We currently don't have one yet, but by the end of the Kickstarter, we might do. Because we've got two uh, fighters who are still yet to be... Um, announced for the expansion pack. Uh, so one is actually being announced um, on the 15th of March and one's being announced on the 25th of March. Like, if people are interested, make sure to check out the Kickstarter in those particular days. If you look at the coming soon section uh, just below the what's in the bot the pledges bit, you can probably tell which one of the two's evil because one's got a very sinister silhouette. Definitely can tell that. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's... It's very cool. And for those of you listening that are in the U.S., uh, it's about everything in right now on the Kickstarter is about $65. So it's I think that seems like a really good price for all that content that you're getting and a giant box to go with it. So, Yeah, I've had a lot of feedback saying that I should have charged more, actually, which I wasn't expecting. I mean, I'm glad to hear it, Like, because one of the worst things is that you launch the Kickstarter and everyone thinks it's way too expensive. Um, but I'm glad people are... Uh, okay with the price, definitely. So it looks like the Kickstarter is running for another 15 days or so from the time of this recording. So it puts it about the tail end of March for when you're wrapping up. I'm gonna I'm gonna mm. assume that because this is the nature of podcasts. Sorry, I shouldn't assume, but I'm gonna guess because of the nature of podcasts, we're gonna get this out there. Sure, folks that hear this right away, but it'll sit. You know, people can download the episode maybe a month from now or whatnot. Is there going to be late backers or or anything like that that you're planning on doing? Yeah, so there will be a pledge manager which will open. Um, I'm pretty sure it will open maybe straight away after the Kickstarter. I've got a roadmap on the Kickstarter somewhere, uh, but there will be a pledge manager open after the Kickstarter anyway. And if people like. For example, like back for a dollar, or you can see the updates anyway. Even if you don't back, they will. You'll be able to see when the pledge manager goes live. 
I will figure out how to make it accessible for people who haven't backed the Kickstarter. Because I know some people, some Kickstarters make it exclusive to the people who are backed previously who can get access to it. I don't see the reason to do that. So yeah, that'll be out uh, after the Kickstarter ends. Um, and then it'll close whenever we go to manufacturing. At uh, the moment on the roadmap, we have that we're going to go to manufacturing uh, July 1st. So we're going to have a some post-Kickstarter development just because it's such a highly competitive game. And unlike video games, you can't just release an update and fix things. So we're spending a month entirely on balancing, which we've been doing for about a year anyway. But we want to make sure that we 100% get it right. Um, and after that, yeah, we're going to go into manufacturing. Yeah, well, the pledge manager will co close them, but we'll make sure to give people plenty of notice when it's going to close. And then, yeah, after that, after manufacturing, we'll be shipping. And the game is expected to be fulfilled to backers by March 2024. Between you and me, it'll probably maybe be a bit earlier. We've given ourselves quite a lot of uh, of room here, like buffers for things to go wrong, because everything usually does go wrong when it comes to Kickstarters. But this is our fourth campaign now. And yeah, we've, uh, with Food Time Battle in Space, the second campaign, we've fulfilled it in three months. So we've done it fast before. So we'll see, we'll see what we can do with this one. Better to be safe than sorry in this world. Mm. Uh, you know, you never know when the distribution company that you're using decides to close their doors or yeah. something else crazy goes on. So better to be better to let folks know that a realistic delivery date instead of uh, mm. the, hey, this is the one we're going to, you know, we're best hopeful for. So yeah, I uh, made we that really mistake. appreciate that. Yeah, I made that mistake with the last Kickstarter as well because, uh, well, to be fair, it wasn't entirely on me. The factory blew up that was making the game, so that wasn't great. But yeah, I, I said to backers that they get it by Christmas, and uh, only about half the backers did. It was UK and US based who got it, and then the rest of the world got it about a week later, which was a, a bit sad because a lot of people were backing it as Christmas presents, of course. But yeah, so yeah, there's definitely a, a downside to sort of over promising. Um, but I think the March 2024 date is definitely uh, achievable. That's really cool. That sounds great. And I will just say from for me, I don't back anything on Kickstarter that I need it by a certain date because something, like you said, always seems to come up. You just mm -hmm. can't count on it. So it's always like a little extra bonuses when they do show up early. And it's, you know, it's fun that way. Yeah. <laughs> so. we, You've answered so many of our questions today. I really appreciate that. Is there anything that you want to talk about that we didn't cover yet? Yeah, Fatal Knockout is... Um, also, it, what I will say is if people want to see something cool, check out the Crab Studios social media, search, the search Crab Studios and anything, uh, because we got a giant arcade table made for Aircon. Uh, so people actually got to play on a giant arcade table. I'm pretty sure I, I think I... Have I posted it on social media? I've definitely posted it on a Kickstarter update anyway. So if it's, if you can't find it on social media, media post it on Kickstarter. I've literally today just got back from the convention, so my brain's a bit fried. Um, but yeah, so this game is definitely a game which can be played by pretty much all ages. It's a game which is, isn't language dependent. So what we're planning on doing is we are going to be releasing to save uh, money both for backers because something which people don't know is that the, the base cost of a game is usually higher when uh, the game is being printed in multiple languages because the print runs for each language has to be smaller, uh, which drives up the price, the unit price. So what we're doing, well, first of all, we made the game language independent because all the core information that you need is entirely icons. So the only thing which needs to be translated is the rule book, which tells you what those icons are. So what we're doing is we're going to get at least a German and a French rulebook done, and then you can download it as a PDF, and uh, that will allow more people to play it, which I think will be pretty cool. 
yeah, if you are interested in sort of like playing the game with a bunch of people on Tabletop Simulator before the game comes out, then just check out the Kickstarter and there's a link right at the bottom of the Kickstarter as well, as well as most of the updates uh, where you can join the Discord server and you'll be welcomed by a bunch of really nice, friendly people who will just want to play games with you, which I think is quite nice. But yeah, other than that, I don't think there's anything else I want to cover. For folks that have been paying attention, you can go to you can go check this game out on Kickstarter. Just search Fatal Knockout, of course. If that's too much work for you, you can hop over to wiscodice.com and right in the show notes for this episode, you will be able to find a link that takes you to the Kickstarter as well as uh, also to the... Uh, we'll put a special link in to take you to the special Kickstarter post where he's got the awesome giant arcade version arcade display of this game at uh, aircon it looks pretty awesome it's worth taking a look at and taking a peek at because you can just imagine playing a board game like this having set up in my gaming space and but having it set up in the full uh arcade kind of setup that that would be kind of neat and cool so Niall, thank you so much for taking the time and being being with us today we really do appreciate it the best of luck with you on this on this game. This game looks awesome. We're really excited for you. And with any with any good luck here, not only will you back, but you'll be able to get some get a little extra funding to to be able to do some extra cool things with it because it it really is unique and a, a really special idea here. No worries. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you leave a review of this show wherever your favorite place is to find podcasts. Oh, and by the way, give us a like on our Facebook page. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest while you're at it. If you haven't looked recently, make sure you catch up on the blog at wiscodice.com. Hey, Brian, what's that site? Ah, oh, darn. I forget. Uh, Justin, what's our website again? Wiscodice.com. That's right. It's wiscodice.com. And until next time, everyone, peace out. <laughs>